0: Lord, I don't know the last time some of us have had this kind of quiet. And I want to thank you that it still exists. Lord, I know with the construction at the house next door to ours and, uh, and just the busyness of life, we can get to that place where it's really hard to be still and to know your God. And here we are, Lord, in this room gathered together to fellowship with you to be ministered to by you, to be encouraged and blessed. But Lord, not just so that we could become fat and lethargic in our faith, but that we'd have further equipment to go out and do that which you've called each of us to do. My prayer today is if there's anyone who has yet to know you within this room, that today would be the day of their salvation. My prayer, Lord, is that for anyone who is young in you, that this day would be a day of great growth and encouragement. My prayer is that today for anyone who would be struggling, frustrated, feeling weak, that today you would present yourself as their strength. That today they would receive the nourishment and the fortification they need to strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees and feet. I pray for those that are confused, Lord, that need counsel, counsel them in your word today. I pray for those that are mature, Lord, that you would ignite a fire underneath their seat to get them to do that which you've called them to do today. Lord, I pray that every one of us will take that step farther into who you've made us or remade us and reinvented us to be to fulfill the calling you've placed in each of our lives. First and foremost, to choose that better service of just sitting at your feet. So Lord, I pray today we would have so much fun in your word that by the power of your Holy Spirit your word would burst open and come alive and just full of color for each of us today. And in that, Lord, in that, you would speak to every one of us intimately today. Lord, where we need you to to speak, where we've been craving you to speak, speak to every one of us today as individuals, but also speak to every one of us as a family. Thank you so much, God, for the sweet three years you've already given us and the sweet blessing of the future that lays before us. Thank you, Lord, for the way you're building this beautiful family into an army. And in that, Lord, an army for you, not with guns, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in you. So, Lord, even today, may we be completely captivated in your word. May we all be drawn in. May we worship you with our attention our intention to apply it and our retention. And Lord, may we today be consumed in you. May we come with willing spirits and stirrable hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always have the final say. It's been three months now since chapter 12. I should say, we reached Mount Sinai in three months. We've been in ten places starting in chapter 12. We left the town of Ramses and went to Sukkot and a lot of other places, some of which, by the way, will only be mentioned later on in Deuteronomy, small places, but places also like Elam and Sukkot and the wilderness of sin for which we've bound ourselves now. We've seen the Red Sea split open and wall up on both sides to the depths. We've seen all of Pharaoh's army drown in a watery grave. They're engulfed in such. The pillar of cloud and fire leading us by night and day. Bitter water made sweet by the throwing in of a branch. Quail to give us meat. Bread that fell down and continues to fall down from heaven. Moses smack a big rock and give two million people something to drink. The Amalekites attacking in the valley of Rephidim. Joshua, we finally meet there in the valley of Rephidim, and there Joshua is raised up, and Moses, with his hands raised high, we see the victory. We've seen all of that. We've seen God bring in then, and Moses, at the request of Moses, his father-in-law, Moses is this that there should be help. 70 elders raised up from among the people to assist Moses in this responsibility, to assist him. And thus they did. And there they're back now at Mount Sinai. Which, by the way, Sinai, the same place that God spoke to Moses in Exodus 3.12, when Moses was still tending the sheep and when he saw the burning bush, that burning bush, by the way, there at the base of Mount Sinai, the same place where the people are encamped now. Now, the last time he was there before this, he was chasing sheep gathering them and keeping them together. And now he's chasing sheep, seeking to keep and hold them together. They just happen to be a little bigger and less fluffy. And might I just say, in some cases, a little less lovable. Just the same, when God said in 3.12, On this mountain you will worship me. Now Moses is being brought back. And Moses then, in 19 and 20, God tells us the Ten Commandments, while all of us at the base of the mountain here Not a single one of us, not out of our camp, or not out of our our tent, but all of us there gathered together, and the voice so powerful and so loud, as Hebrews reiterates in chapter 12, the people begged, please don't let us do this anymore. We can't bear this. Moses, you just handle it. You be our go-between. And so Moses heads up on the mountain and begins to receive the social law. The Ten Commandments, we had all heard it. And as Moses heads up for 40 days and 40 nights, up on the mountain then, to receive now, the first thing that God says is, now that we've discussed this, let's get to business. I want to build a tabernacle so I can dwell among you. That's been the heart of God since the beginning of this. It's not been to just sort of indoctrinate you so that you can just look different or have a different set of social stratas and laws. The difference is that God wants to live among you when he doesn't want any competition. And while Moses is up there for 40 days, the people are already preparing themselves to break the first of the Ten Commandments. They didn't get past number one. We'll have no other gods before me. So when Moses starts to head down and God says, get down there, he grabs Joshua on the way down and Joshua says, it sounds like people are dying. And Moses says, that's just the choir. And with that then, um, the people he goes, heads down and all the people then, of course, are running around, running kind of naked and dancing before the, the golden calf that they had made. And Aaron, who had been left in charge, he turns and he says, what are you doing? And Aaron, just sounding like a mighty man of God, just, I don't know, we threw the gold in a... Out came this gold calf. And so that's his sort of excuse for the whole thing. Moses will ground it into powder, throw it into the water, make them drink it so you don't even worship the water. And then say, alright, I'm going to go back up the mountain and try to make sure that God doesn't kill you. And Moses is up on the mountain for another 40. As Moses is up on the mountain for another 40, he intercedes for the people. And when he comes back down, his face is glowing. And as his face is glowing, he has a new set of the law. Same same Ten Commandments. This time, though, because the first set, he broke on his way down the first time in his anger. Now Moses has come down with a second set. And as he's come down with a second set, the difference now, Moses is Mr. Glowy Face. That's the difference. And as the people see, and I I think it's just beautiful that when Moses received the law, that didn't make him glow. When Moses received the plans for the tabernacle, that didn't make him glow. But when Moses interceded for the people, Moses' face began to shine. He started to look like God. So Moses is head down now, and he's called this big meeting. How big? Every person. He's called every person now. Now, we're going to read, by the way, sooner or later, um, as we kind of get through a bit of this text, and we will, you know, God willing, we'll get through, we'll kind of capsulize a lot of this because a lot of it will be then review for this, that there are 603,500 men. And then there's their families. So that's why there's sort of a rough and a careful estimate of roughly about 2 million people. The average, by the way, the average man had five children in that day, but that didn't mean all of them lived. You had them because you didn't think all of your children were going to survive. Today, by the way, in the Middle East, the average um, family size um, is five to six children for the Jewish family. And for the Arab family in the Middle East, it's as many as 11 people. It all depends on the area. So i uh, just kind of give you an idea. So Moses has called all the people together. And he's laid God's word before him. Here are the blueprints for this tabernacle. And he says, now I want you to go and, and head out and come back. We're going to obviously need materials for this thing. We're going to be, and this is our first building project in scripture, in essence, if you will. And so, I mean, we have building projects like the Ark, but not everyone really contributed to that. Uh, not at least in the same way. So if you want, go, go and look at it. I'm not making you do anything. There's no sort of required offering here, but I would really like it if you guys would come and bring back if that's the case. And what we read then is there are people who returned, but the people that returned, there were two distinct qualities about them. One is that their hearts were stirred. And I like that. And the other, by the way, was that their spirit was willing. Now understand that's a very radically different thing. And let me explain as we kind of get ready to dive into our text. We have today sort of, I've noticed that there's sort of this influx, this insurge of these things called awareness you know, ministries. And the idea of it is we're going to go and make you aware. We're going to make you aware of human trafficking. We're going to make you aware of the way that people are being mistreated in this part of the country or this part of the world or the way that people aren't being paid what they should be in China or whatever it is. And there's going to be these awareness meetings or these movies. The problem with awareness, and I'm not saying that it's bad, the problem is it may be able to stir the heart, but if the heart that is stirred is not met with a willing spirit, you will have a temporary emotional response that will lead to nothing. And that becomes the problem. There has to be a place where it is met with a willing spirit to see change. Now, here's the problem. That can happen every Sunday, every Wednesday night, and at any Bible study you go to. You could come and get whipped up. And you can get stirred up. And you can even go, go to churches where that's the only real ambition as we're going to make sure we hoot and we holler and we hang and we swing and we slap and we spin and we do circles and we run laps. And by the time we're done, the warrior spirits come out and the spirit of the chicken is over there. And over here we're sweating angel sweat and angel feathers are going to fall from the sky. And when the ting is done, we're like, Woo! I had the tingles! And then we go and get smashed and have sex and get pregnant tonight. And I'm just being you know, blunt, because that can happen, because just getting stirred, and a lot of things can stir our heart that aren't even godly. And we know that there are even people out there that learn that these are specific psychological tactics that can be used for your telethon. So you can make sure you raise the right amount of money. This will stir. And you know it because we see it all over. It isn't just the church, that's for goodness sakes. You're sitting at a bus stop, and you see the picture, right? And it's the picture of little Jimmy in a wheelchair, right? And as Jimmy's in his wheelchair, they look and it says, go ahead, walk away. He wishes he could. Now, what do you think that is? Right? And you're like, oh, wow, I feel like I should just chop off my legs to feel better. And it may stir you, but unless there's something that can happen. And now you notice, right, you're sitting on the train and you look and it says like, if you don't act, this animal will no longer exist. Send text five pounds to this number. And you're like, you do not they don't tell you what they do. You know, it's like we joke about it and say, you know, we should just sort of say things and then just say, text me, you know, money, because this is bad. And, And the whole point of it is, is that there's this attitude around us. And because of that, we're very reluctant to let our spirits, our hearts be stirred. Let's be honest. We know that if somebody's kind of lunging for our hearts, we're like, whoa, 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 chill out. The last thing I want is for you to jump at that right now. You're going to make me do something, huh? We kind of know that. But somehow we've built a culture within the church that we feel very safe knowing we don't really have to do anything except sit in, be a spectator, we'll show up when we want, we'll leave when we want, we don't have to give anything and we'll just kind of pop in. But the problem is, church is not supposed to be a place where we're entertained like a movie. This is supposed to be the locker room. This is supposed to be the place where, oddly enough, you come in with grass stains, you come in with a few scars. And, and, and rubbing something on yourself, you know and, and, you know, and kind of checking your bones and making sure they're all intact and that kind of thing. And then you come in here and it's like, no, this is what we want to do to tighten up the team a little bit so we can score more points, so we can actually not give any ground to our opponent and so that we can actually get out there and win this thing. The odd thing is, is that we can turn this into actually a place where what we do is we shovel a whole bunch of people from the stands into a room like this and say, "Is it been fun watching this? Let me show you a couple more people doing the work. They're experts because they have degrees or whatever. And I'll go back out there and watch some more. But the Lord hasn't called that. And praise God that we know that. So the people are returning now. But the people return. And as they return, they return to be used. Now, if you were here last week and you go, oh, dang it, I forgot, I should have prayed. Well, pray now. All right? Because the bottom line is God is calling us to do something. So listen, so, the, so those 603,500 603, men left or whatever, they returned. Whatever the case is, we now have a smaller group of people. And the smaller group of people that came now, they're actually into this for more than just, let's go check this thing out and see if this is cool. Now they're in, and in a place where they're like, let's see what God wants to do with me. See, this is supposed to be the safest place for you to experiment your spiritual gifts on people. Are you aware of that? Because these people have to forgive you by writ of what the scripture says. So if you're like, you know what, I don't know, but I think the Lord may be calling me to, to say this prophecy to you. Now look, at, I'm a little bit weird when a guy kind of sees that girl and goes, I just want you to know that I have this prophecy, I'm going to be your husband. That's not exactly what I'm talking about here. And because whatever, for whatever purpose, for the 20 years we've been at Shoreline Calvary Chapel, uh, since, it's, and so, since its beginning, the, we, God has just blessed us with young, beautiful people. So you kind of have to keep your eye open for the hawks on both sides of the gender scale. You know that. There's the gals that walk in too, and you're like, mm, girls, keep your eye on that one. But don't worry, if you walked in, I haven't said that to anyone this morning, so you're safe. But the people came in, and they kind of came in with this, okay, coach. I'm not red shirt in it. I'm actually feeling like I should take the field. I don't know what that means. I don't even know if I know how to play. And the bottom line is most people that step out for the first time either think they do and they don't or don't think they do and do quite well. And understand under this, I'm the undercoach. I'm the guy with the clipboard. But our chief coach has never lost the match. He's the undefeated heavyweight champion of the world and the universe. And I'm thankful for that. And so the people, I'm from that group of people, as we sit here and we gather together, and we, the stirred and the willing we turned, from then, then, the gifted were actually sort of brought to the surface. The gifted were gathered together. Now look at, God says, if you're willing to be stirred, I'm willing to gift you. And I really do like that. I mean, the bottom line is, if you're really willing, Lord, I really want to be used. He doesn't have a problem equipping you and fortifying you for whatever the thing is he puts on, his heart, he puts on your heart. I know this. God has no intent on setting you up just so that you try really great ideas and fail all the time. Because let me just say this, you can never fail if you're obedient. Because the only thing God holds you responsible for is obedience. The rest of it's his job. Now, I understand sitting with pastors sometimes, that's a little hard to explain to them. Because some pastors, they're just not hip on that. They're like, you know, my church isn't a mega church. I'm like, yes, it is. They're like, there's only 30 people there. I'm like, did Jesus show up? If Jesus showed up at your church, you got to make a church. The heaven of heavens can't contain him. How big is your church? And the bottom line is, is that if you're being obedient, the rest is his job, and that's you too. So if you're like, what if it fails? How can it fail if the Lord's the one doing it? Does he fail? And from the gifted then that are risen up, the called were called by name. And we have two of them we'll see here then. Chapter 36, verse 1. Bezalel can you say Bezalel? God, give it a try. It's fun. Bezalel. Bezalel. It's a kind of a lovely little word. kind of rolls off. Now it's Hebrew. You can't say Hebrew like an accountant with all due respect to accounts. You can't go Bezalel. You have to go Bezalel. So give it a more try. Bezalel. Beautiful. It actually means in his father or in the shadow of the almighty. What a beautiful name. But this one's my favorite in regards to the fact remember these guys are going to make the tabernacle, the tent and all the things that are required with it. And then Acholeb. Would you say "Aholyab." Now come on. Acholeb. Ahaliyah means my father's tent. Now, is that not the perfect name for a guy that's going to make the tabernacle? My father's tent. So you have my father's tent and in the shadow of the Almighty. Is that not two great guys to start this project? And it says, And every gifted artisan in whom, notice, the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Notice it tells us that wisdom and understanding were something that the Lord had to put in. Did you notice that? Don't miss that. Can, can listen, And these words aren't, these aren't very difficult words. The first word for what's with, is the word that means skill or wit. And the second word, by the way, the word tabin, and tabin, by the way, means intellect or intelligence or understanding. And here's the point of it. I've seen some people that are ridiculously educated, but they're absolute nincompoops. Have you seen them? I mean, they're so brilliant, they can't tie their shoes. They could, be, they could be really, really good at something, but this is what I've learned. Just because you're really smart in one area does not make you an expert in every arena. Have you learned that? How many of you have gone to university, just by show of hands? Okay, okay, okay. Wow, that's, that's quite a lot of you. That's quite impressive. Have any of you gone in sat in a class that had nothing to do with religion, but somehow the teacher was also an expert in religion as well. It's like, today we're going to talk about Keats and how we hate God, because obviously I'm too smart for God. Or you're in, this, you're in a science class. There was a, the, the, the chief of the science department at Chico State University in Northern California, sits down, Arpino is his name, sat down with his students on the first day and told them If you actually believe in creation, you're too stupid to take my class. So you might as well just get up and leave right now. You know what was awesome? There were kids who got up and left and complained, of course, because you really can't do that. It's not legal. Well, follow me on this. (laughs) There's this idea that, that if we could just get enough education, maybe people would respect us. And the problem is that can happen in the church. Well, hey, look, I'm not against organized religion or organized education. Although if you really don't like organized religion, we're probably a great place because we're terribly disorganized. But listen, please hear me on this. God has to give you the wit. God has to give you the skill. God has to give you the understanding. Because you could be super intellectual and have nothing to do with God. You could be brilliant and be terrible at the the really simple things of God because he has to give it and you can't earn what he gives. Have you learned that yet? God doesn't give you anything because you earned it unless you ask him for judgment, which would be very dumb. Everything else is given because he's kind. And he doesn't love you. Get this through your head, if you will. He doesn't love you because you're lovable. He loves you because he's love. And here's the cool thing about that. If it was because you were lovable and there was some quality that made you lovable, Charlene, she's lovable because of her lovely brunette locks. But then one day she winds up getting cancer, has to get chemotherapy, and then with that she loses all her hair. She's completely unlovable for the rest of her life. How horrible is that? No, wait a minute, that's not true. That'll grow back, kind of like Samson. Well, get me on this. That's what could happen. Andrew. Andrew. Loved because of his great strength. But the problem is, every muscle succumbs to gravity sooner or later. And this becomes this. And that's sad. And then what happened to Andrew's lovable, lovable? And that becomes it. Your brilliance, it fades. Your artistic abilities, they fade. But God loves you because he's love. Isn't that good news? Because he's the one. If we start thinking, God, I just want to see what you see in me, that's a really dangerous question to ask. God's like, do you really want to see what I see in you? Here's the good news. If you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, do you know what he sees in you? He sees his son. And God looks at the inside. Isn't that what 1 Samuel teaches us? Man looks at the outer appearance, but it's God who looks at the heart. How could he not see beauty when it's his son that lives inside of you? Well, with that in mind, these two guys are called. And by the way, just to see if any of you are actually quick on the take on this. The first guy's named Bezalel. Does anyone remember what his name means? Excellent. In the shadow of the Almighty. And then we have the other guy, Acholiab. What does Acholiab mean? My father's tent. Beautiful. And the Lord puts inside of them wisdom and understanding to do all the manner of the work that is necessary. Now look, at, it's God's work. And because it's God's work, it has to be done God's way. And if it's God's way to be done, then God has to give the wherewithal to do so. It's God's wherewithal to do God's will, God's way. That's the idea here. Now, <coughs> well, what part do we play in it? Look at verse 2. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whose heart the Lord had put wisdom and everyone whose heart was stirred. Now, I wonder if there were other people whose hearts God had not put wisdom or say everyone who maybe their hearts that God had put wisdom in, but they weren't stirred. Like they could have done something, but they didn't. Now look at, if God gives you the skill, it's going to be done right. Even if it's not done the way you think it should be. And the book by Dostoevsky notes from the underground, and I don't highly recommend it, but it's the only book I've ever thrown against the wall politely because I'm not a throwing kind of guy unless it's a sport the man is so convinced that he can't do anything right he does nothing and he does nothing well as a result of that but could you imagine that's what will be your trademark you know it's the Olympics and everyone's in their like onesies right they're kind of unitards or whatever. And, and there they all are sitting on the bench and there's the Chinese gals and they're all kind of getting ready, right? And it's like this. And, and you know, it's like, and they're like slapping that kind of stuff. Remember, that kind of makes your hands all sticky, right? Kind of the chalk stuff, right? And, and, and you know, they're all getting kind of ready and there's all that and just kind of shaking it and kind of sitting there like that. And then there's Jade and Jade's just kind of sitting there like this. She's got her unitard on. She's sitting there on the bench with the rest of them. And the girls are there. And they, you know, they're kind of smacking the rosin. They're going to make sure they're picking up the bag and all that. And the girls do their thing. And then at the end of it all, you know, <coughs> it's, it's, it's Jade's turn. And they're called Jade. And everyone's like, oh, Americans are right. And she's like. And the Americans are going. But where was the Performance. She's like that was it. I did nothing very well. <laughs> now maybe in, in sort of a, you know, there are some think circles and think tanks where that might work. It doesn't in the kingdom of God. <laughs> and it's like, we, do we really think that God's gonna? It's like, well done, good and faithful servant. You were so good at, you were faithful at doing nothing well. Really. And it's like, look at I'll put in your heart what's necessary. I'll give you all the skill. I'll give you all the drive. I'll give you all the ability. I'll give you all the wits. That's my job to equip. Your job's to say, okay, let's do it. Your job's to have a go for it in your spirit. And you're like, but what if God will make me do something crazy? Can I just say as your coach, get over it. He's going to make you do crazy things. Do you realize those are the things that you love to tell people later? Like, let me tell you about a crazy moment. And we want God to do miracles in our life. We just don't want to be put in a position where he has to. Right? It's like, so all of a sudden the Lord's like, hey, I'm really winding up to do something really cool here. But if I'm going to walk on the water, I've got to create a storm. And like, yeah, but can you just walk on the water? That's kind of cool in and of itself. And the guy's like, no, I'm not like one of those lizards. I'm going to make this something even cooler. But you've got to trust me in this. And so all of a sudden, you know, imagine there are two million people and Moses has got to go, Bezalel! And I don't know, how many of those are there? Who knows? But one's going to have to step forward. He's got to say, the son of, the son of, the son of. Okay, and I'm looking for, Achalel, ten, ten, you know, ten, Father's ten, Father's ten. Okay, okay. The two of you and anyone else who God has put in their heart, let's do something now. Let's see something happen. Verse 3. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel also brought for the work of the service and making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him free will offerings every morning. (coughs) I kind of get the idea something must have happened at night. Somewhere at night, the general populace went to bed and God started speaking. And you know, I got to tell you, maybe it's because it's the only time it does get quiet enough. Where well, you can actually hear God, you know? What's amazing is how we, want it, we tell God we really want to hear him, but we won't even take out our own, our own earphones, right? It's like, God, you just speak to me. Anytime, God. It's like, and it's like, and then they break and they're like, oh, come on. Can I borrow your earpods? God, anytime you want to talk. I mean, what is that? And it's like, and so all of a sudden what happens is all of a sudden it's at the middle of the night and God wakes us up and we're like, really? I'm trying to get some sleep here. Right? And God's like, yeah, but this is the only time you can hear me. And here's the cool thing. All God said, it appears, is give it up. Just give it up. Okay, here's the funny thing. They're going to be giving up Lots of stuff. I mean, gold, silver, bronze, we kind of get that. Linen, yarn, skins, animal skins. My favorite thing is that they are going to be, get this, when they're going to build this tabernacle, there are these pillars that are two and a half stories tall. So basically, like up past that light. Now, okay, this is the thing I start to wonder. Which people brought those from Egypt? Right? You've got these big locks. I mean they don't fit in your tent, right? You know? <clears throat> so you're like, hey, Zeke, come on. You know, I used to say, Shemai, and these guys are and they're saying these things out, and, and all of a sudden God's like, hey, and I need some wood. And you can see, right? You know what that means. Some wife is sitting there going like this to her husband, Honey, honey, they need some wood. I'm so tired of those things sitting out beside our tent. People have to crawl over the stack of logs to get into our place. And he's like, but I like my wood. Like, what are you gonna do with your wood? I don't know, but when we get to the promised land, we'll see. And she's like, and also Moses is like, we, could, we really need some wood, specific kind of wood. And she goes, if it's the same kind of wood, it's acacia wood. Oh, come on, honey. Right? And you're like, oh, seriously. And I think about what that's like. I mean, here's the thing. You're walking around in the wilderness. What good is gold in the wilderness? What good is silver in the wilderness? What good is bronze in the wilderness? You know what bronze does in the, in the sun? Who wants to pick up bronze in the sun? It becomes That's what the women made mirrors of, by the way. So you get the idea, it's like just, ah! And it's like your eyes are burned, your face is scorched, and it's like, nice, who wants to grab this thing? You cook on it at that point. All this stuff is, and here's the thing about the time we hate that's called the wilderness in all of our lives as Christians. It's the time where God starts making unimportant things that really are, can I just say, Unimportant. And he starts realizing, do you still want to drag all that stuff along with you? Is it still worth it? You still, I mean, it look cool maybe in Egypt. Hey, if you'd have gotten this stuff in Egypt, this would be bling bling. You'll be stepping out of an MTV video with this thing, right? And you put it in your tooth, and you're looking good. And mm, I got the belt buckle this like this. It's got like the big dollar sign and the pound sign because I want to be international, right? Walk out, mm, 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 right? And what happens is you're walking through the wilderness, and you're you know because it's hot, and i are like, ah, oh, I get this thing off. Right? It's different in the wilderness. And all of these things that you're carrying with you now are they really worth anything anymore? Oh, they were good in the old world, but you're not in the old world anymore. So the people like somehow in the next. And imagine, here's the thing. He so he says we need to take an offering. But I'm not, we're not passing anything. And can I just say, I'll say, I said it last week, I'll just say it. We have a box in the back. That's all we ever do for offering here. Just so you know, we're never going to pass a hat or anything like that. I mean, if you want to give, you've got to do it because God leads you and it's, there's no argument in this. That's just, that's just dumb. That's the way it works here. And here's the thing. They, so they had an offering, the people came back and they left something. They're like, well, that's really cool. But that's, that's not going to be enough. But Moses never took a second offering. He never said, all right, we're, lock the doors. All y'all ain't leaving. And I just did this. Was, I was on the internet radio. Whenever you ever do that with iTunes? You get on the internet radio, and I'm like looking for religious, right? And there's one that's like all gospel, all gospel. It's not it's like all gospel. Some gospel, some begging, right? Because I turn it on, and it's like, okay, I just know right now we got a $1,000 champion out there. A $1,000 champion. What's that? And I just know when we get that donation of a $1,000, we'll put some music back on. And I was like, Click. And praise God, there are choices, right? Look at that stuff. So Here's what Moses said. He goes, Look at it. If you want it, bring it. And so, some chances are, what some people did is that they gave, and other people went, Yeah, I'll well, see. And then they tried to sleep another night, and God's like, Huh? huh? Oh, some other people gave. Look at that. Oh, that's good. Good. Oh, are you kidding me? When am I going to get a good night's sleep? God says, when you let it go. You finally let it go. And they gave, and they gave, and they gave. And finally, everyone just says, I'm so tired of finding God on it. Interesting. It's the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And listen, again, search this. Don't just believe me. But check this out. Jesus has... um, He's being baptized, and it's a really beautiful event. Many of us are quite aware of it. I mean, the heavens part. God speaks from the heavens. This is my beloved son. (laughs) Right? Very, very cool. And we're like, wow, okay, this doesn't happen every day. Dove lands upon him. John says, that's your man. That's the guy. And Jesus is like, got to go. And he disappears for 40 days. You're like, that's the strangest coming out party I've ever seen. Because he goes to be tempted for 40 days in the wilderness, right? So we're like, ah, okay. That was it. That was strange. Then Jesus is walking by after that. And John goes, there he is, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You should follow him. And they're like, yeah, you're right. And we get back to what we're doing. Okay, that's strange. So it would be like a Monday. So Monday, Jesus walked by. And uh, we saw him walk by, and we're like, yeah, I should have followed him. Dang it. You know, if he ever walks by again, I would follow him. The next day, he comes walking by again. John goes, look, it's the Lamb of God. Two of those guys get up and start to follow him. That's when one turns and goes, oh, excuse me. And Jesus looks at him. I love how he calls them on us. He goes, so what are you looking for? How would you like that to be the first words that God speaks to you? So what are you really looking for? And they're like, uh, where are you staying? I don't know. You didn't say anything. <laughs> and I love Jesus because he just says, come and see my God is such a come and see God. Come and see, boys. And they spend the day with him. The next day, they'll follow him. And they'll give up everything. And I just love that. I it's like, hey, maybe you had your Monday. It's like the next day, but we read the next day and then the next, next day. And can I say, that's what we have here. There's some that gave because, man, it's just boom. And, what, and I'm not just saying, look, at. We're, I'm saying, look, at, give you to the Lord. That's what I'm saying. Give you. And the Lord says, yeah, but you need to let this go. That relationship, it's not mine, it's yours, let it go. That thing that you think is somehow going to be, you know it's not me, it'll never reconcile to me, let it go. That ambition, that dream, that priority, that whatever, that you think, oh, you know what, i got to go to church to find a Megan. Well, you can't, let me just say, let me introduce you to Jesus. He's the perfect Megan, and there ain't going to be anybody that can compare to him. And until you let him fill you, any other man is dangerous to you and you are to them. But that's just my purpose. No, it's not. Jesus made you to be with him. He he would rather die than live without you. Don't tell me you're going to be alone. He says, let it go. And you try to sleep tonight. Praise God, the Holy Spirit follows you home too. (laughs) Sleep well. (laughs) So the people came and they started to give. And then the next day, some more people gave. And the next day, some people again. Some people gave, but they gave a little. And it's like, and again, you know, I feel like I have to apologize. Why? It's in scripture. Here it is. So they gave, and it's like, yeah, but I have so much more. But you know, it's like it's a little forgotten. And then it's like, then they try to sleep tonight. God's like, yeah, but it's still you're carrying it through the wilderness. What good is this? But I might need it on the other side. And God says, trust me, you're not going to need this on the other side. Verse four. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all of the work of the sanctuary, they came. And from every part of the work they were doing, so this is every one of those guys that were busy. So some people, what they did is they came and they showed up and said, I'm just here to be used in whatever way God wants. Oh, that's so beautiful. It's all right. Well, what has God gifted you in? What has he skilled you in? I'm good with a hammer. Awesome. I'm good with a lawnmower. Awesome. I'm good with baking pies. Praise Jesus. How are you with cherry? Anyway. And all these craftsmen show up from all these places now, from all the work they were doing. Verse 5, And they spoke to Moses, saying, The people bring much more than enough for the service of the work in which the Lord has commanded us to do. Could you imagine that problem? You know what's really cool? is Moses' response. He doesn't say, well, let's see if we can find the first bank of Midian. Let's see if we can find wilderness trust, savings alone. Moses then turns in verse 6. It says, Moses gave the commandment that they, and caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary, and the people were restrained from bringing For the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, it was even too much. Imagine, this is what happens when everyone just says, I'm okay. Nothing lacks. But let me tell you, in the economy of God, what's most valuable? Because please hear me, and, and please hear me, this is my heart, honestly. Jesus says in Matthew 13, that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who walks through a field, and as he walks through the field, he saw a jewel so precious that he gave up everything to buy the whole field. Now, there are some that would say, well, that's the kingdom of heaven, so you want to, pur- you know, you want to give up everything to do so. The problem is the word purchase. <clears throat> this man gave up everything to purchase the field. So you would already given, there are seven parables in Matthew 13, all on the kingdom of God, by the way. In the kingdom of heaven. And he already defined in the first one, by the way, that the field was the world. So if somebody walking through the world who saw a jewel so precious that he gave up everything to purchase the whole field, well, when you get to that, you start to realize that the the jewel is you. You were so precious that he would give up everything to buy the whole world just so that he could have you. That's the point. You see, in God's economy, that's what's most important is you. Jesus didn't die for the woodchuck. He didn't die for buildings or for countries or for nations or for political standards. He died for human beings like you and me. So when we read in the book of Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he he says he endured the cross, scorning its shame. The only joy set before Jesus was you. See, what held Jesus on the cross was you, was me, was the image that somehow dying on the cross would, would bring you to him. Now, if that's the case, <clears throat> in God's economy, the greatest valuable thing is you. And me, I get to be in that too. That's why I get to act as crazy as I do. Please hear me. If that gets unattended to. Nothing else is worth it. Please hear my heart. If you have a giant building but people don't get touched, they don't get personally ministered to, it's, it's silly to me. If you're going to have the big screens and the best technology and the greatest bands and the whatever is this and that, you know what I mean, and I'm not against that stuff in and of itself, although I will say we saw something like that in the States and we kind of, We've walked away from that because I want to know people by name, not just my staff. But I can't do this. God never called me to personally minister to every human being. He called me to coach my family that he's going to be blessed and kind enough to give me, like it or not you, so that you can go out there too and touch lives. There are some people that will never listen to me. Just maybe because I'm American. Maybe because I'm tall. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But some will listen to you instead. Now granted, there are going to be times where the Lord will lead you. And can I just say, I'm going to put it as simple as I can. And then we actually pick up the text quite quickly. In the beginning, as we see in the Gospels, the first thing is people just brought him. They didn't have any answers. Philip found Nathaniel, And he says, we found this guy, and I believe he's the Messiah. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And he's like, why? Are you kidding me? He's like, Nazareth, can anything good come out of there? And instead of getting into some kind of debate, like who Cain's wife might have been, <coughs> he just went, well, why don't you just come and see? That was been my experience. I asked Jesus, and he said, come and see. And I'm come and seeing for myself. Why don't you come and see? And I say, that's the beginning of the ministry. Look it, if you know that that's where my heart is, invite people to church. Just tell them to come and see for themselves. Come and see the greatest freak show on earth, people being selfless and loving each other, quite simply because Jesus saved them. That's as freaky as it gets. Camden has nothing to compare to that. We are the scariest thing to them. Are you aware of that? We really are. They're like, I've got my pentagram. I'm like, yeah, whatever. It's a star. Do you know God put every star in its place? Ah! <laughs> That's where it starts. Come and see. Can you do that? Look, don't get in arguments. Nobody gets argued into the kingdom. They're like, blah, 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 blah. Well, yeah, you we don't understand. And there's that priest somewhere in Ireland. And blah, blah, blah. Have you met him? I don't know. What about the Pope? He doesn't call me. I haven't been invited to any of his birthday parties. So look it. Just come and see for yourself. Just come and see. But that's where it starts. And then you know what happens after that? They start bringing people in to, ta- to meet Jesus. And then ultimately, it turns to the book of Acts, and then they start going out and bringing Jesus to them. But they didn't start by doing that. You take someone and they're brand new and they're saved, and what happens is they're like, you know what, I really want to do something. I'm like, you know what, invite them to a place where you know the gospel is going to be preached doesn't have to be here, but invite them to wherever that is. Well, you know, Jesus is going to be the center. His word is going to be held true, and you're, brought, you're led to the cross. But then, once that happens, sooner or later, you won't be able to contain it, and you'll just go out and start sharing it with them. You, you'll, you'll get it. You'll bring them to the cross before they ever get to church. And, you, and I can tell you, I've seen that in so many people and just love it. At the beginning, it's like, hey, Pastor, and you watch that great look. It's like, Pastor, this is my friend Betty. And he's you know, like, I know she's going to get saved today, right? And you watch a handful of homeless guys that come walking in, and I love a church that's like, awesome. Let's love on those guys. Let's watch them come to Jesus. And then what happens sooner or later, you watch that same person. It's like, hey, by the way, this is my friend Jill. She just gave her life to Christ. I just thought we'd go to church together. And be like, ha, ha, ha. And you're like, wow, look at you grow. But start with the simple, right? No, back in our text, by the way. These people, by the way, all they did is they kind of handed it over. They're like, you know, whatever it is, Lord, it's yours. And then God says, well, what about this? And, you know, I love it because you see this happen so often. It's my life, too. Maybe it's not yours. It's just people I, I know. They're like, God, I have everything. And God goes, what about that? And you're like, no, not that. But everything else I have is yours. What about No, no, no. But, but everything I have is yours, right? And God's like, and I love that God just kind of knows. What about that? And you're like, uh. Verse 8 it says, Then all the gifted artists artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made. And then he starts listing to the specific degrees that have been listed out already in our text prior. He gave us very specific requirements in regards to the length, the materials, and so forth. And the reason why it is this articulate now is to make sure that you know that they did it according to what was required. That's the idea. So how does that work? Verses 8 through 19 then, the curtains that were made then of the goat's hair and the ramskin skin that red, the badger skins and so forth, they're made. 20 to 34, those big boards in the sockets that were made in the structure. 35 and 36 are the veil and the pillars. 37 and 38 is the screen and the pillars that hold them up. That's the whole chapter. The following chapter, by the way, and by the way, did you notice when the man made it, they made the outside first? It's interesting. God, when he started talking, he talked from the inside out. Because 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, a man looks at the outer appearance, it's the Lord that looks at the heart. Now let me tell you, this is the difference, can I just say clearly, this is the difference between the way man works and the way God works. The way that God works is from the inside out. The way that man works is from the outside in. That's why you, you, you sort of subscribe to a program where we try to change your behavior on the outside and hope that it sticks on the inside. That's, by the way, the same way that it works in relationships. It's so backwards. The way that God said it is, Commitment produces time, which produces intimacy. So in other words, the internal commitment should bear you time and afford you time. And look, at if you're not committed, you should, you'll never have to gnaw off your arm in a relationship if you don't allow commitment to be the first thing. For this kind of commitment, that should only have this kind of time. It's just that simple. But the way the world says it is, well, why don't you just get intimate, and maybe that will buy you time, and maybe that time will buy you commitment. And that really works, doesn't it? Yeah, right. That's what, you know, I think who's the one that says, why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? So, chapter 37, now they start working on the furniture. 1 to 9, the ark. 10 to 16, the table of showbread. 17 to 24, the lampstand. 25 to 29, the altar of incense, the incense and the oil. Chapter 38, then, we go out to the outside and we see the furniture that's on the outside. 1 to 7, the bronze altar of sacrifice. Verse 8, the labor. Verse 9 to 20, the courtyard fencing, then. Verses 21 to 31, then, he actually takes an inventory of the materials. Now look at how quickly we went through that, right? Now, read through it on your own and compare that. If you're kind of the analytical type, you'll find that they kept it to the T. Now, I do find this interesting. And now, we're in chapter 38. Flip there quickly. Verses 21 to 31. They take an inventory. Now, I've done this for your sake and for my own because I get weird on stuff like this. It says this is how much gold was given. This is how much silver was given. This is how much bronze was given. And it tells us here, by the way, by the time you tally it up, this is what you have. The gold was, and would you like it in kilos or pounds? Kilos. Well, I guess we'll do both. All right. <laughs> I want you to know British people said both. All right. Gold, 994.88 kilos, which equals 2,193 pounds in 25, and a quarter pounds. Now... At the price of gold today, by the way, the value then of the gold that they gave was twenty-six million six hundred thirty-two thousand nine hundred thirty-seven pounds and six d pence. Silver, three thousand four hundred twenty-two point thirteen kilos, seven thousand five hundred forty-four point three eight pounds, which then the value. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, pounds, right? Um, which then equals in Great British pounds. pounds and 85 pence. I don't have a running price for bronze, but we had 2,408 kilos and 5,310 pounds worth of bronze. But here's the interesting thing. So if you add it all up, what you have is roughly 28 million pounds worth of gold and silver. Are you with me on that? That's an incredible amount of money. Would you agree? And it tells us, by the way, that all the men gave, at least in this, 603,500 men. Here's the interesting thing. If just the men gave, to give you an idea how interesting this is, at least for me, for you, you could say whatever. If every one of those guys gave to equal this 28 million pound reserve that they've given now, that's only 48 pounds apiece. Do you realize that? At 603,500 men, if every one of them actually just gave that 48 pounds, that would have equaled the amount of all of that gold and silver. Is that not radical? See what happens when everybody kicks in. And that's the radical. That's the radical thought. Is what happens when the church is three percent of the people actually give. And I'm not talking about even financially. I'm talking about time. Hey, setting up and tearing down, going out and evangelizing, just going out and being a light to people. What happens? Well, no wonder why the people think that the, that Christians are the minority because the vast minority of them or the vast majority of them aren't doing anything. What would happen if every every one of you just said, "All right, Lord, all that I am and all that I have." is yours. What do you think would happen? Because that is all it takes is God's just looking for stirrable hearts and willing spirits. Are you with me on that? Chapter 39, 1 to 21, the high priest's clothing. Verses 22 to 31, the other priest's clothing. And then we close it up with these verses. Look at it with me. You're in chapter 39, verse 32. And we close with this. Thus all the work of the tabernacle, of the tent of meeting, was finished. All the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. So they brought the tabernacle to Moses. Now, I think that's kind of interesting, don't you? How exactly did they bring the tabernacle to Moses? I would have thought they would have brought Moses to the tabernacle. Just the same it's supposed to be. Maybe they didn't bring it set up. The tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars, its sockets, The covering of ram skins dyed red, the covering of the badger skins, the veil of the covering, the ark of the testimony, its poles, its mercy seat, and the mercy seat. The table, all its utensils, and the showbread, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps all set in order, and all of its utensils and the oil for the light. The gold altar, (coughs) excuse me, And we continue on. So it says in the gold and it says the gold altar, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door, with the bronze altar, the gate of bronze, its poles, all its utensils, its labor with its base, the hangings of the courts, the pillars, the sockets, screen of the court gate, cords, pegs, even its pegs. They're like, Hey, Moses, look at our pegs. That's how important this is. Can I just say, listen to that? all these artisans, some guy is making the most beautiful tapestry that's going to separate the holy place from the holy of holies. The Kudushim to the Kudush of And although they look and they go, okay, kadosh there's this beautiful thing. What did you make? And you're like, I made a peg. Seems kind of lame, doesn't it? But you see that tent doesn't stand without pegs. Please hear me. The moment you said yes to Jesus, you became a part of the body of Christ and there are no spare parts. God's way too good. No part sits latent. No part hangs out by itself and no part is ever intended to sustain itself alone. Even the pegs. And you go, well, all I I do is make pegs. Praise God for you. You'd be amazed at how many little pegs are made to keep something like this up. People gave because their hearts were stirred and their spirits were willing. They gave their talents. They gave their time. They gave their resources. But nobody complained. Do you know this is the only time we're going to find in the wilderness where no one was complaining? Don't you find that interesting? We'll go from place to place. People are like, where's my water? Where's my food? I miss meat. Oh, the garlic's in leek. Let's go back to Egypt. You're just going to kill us anyways. It's hot. Oh, i have a rash. You know, it's all kinds of things. But are we there yet? This is the one point where you don't see anybody complaining. And everybody just says, and by the way, maybe because the people who were complaining weren't part of the project. Does that make sense? They might have been complaining. And God's like, but let's not record that. Let's, let's, let's talk about the good part of the camp. They're probably having their own meeting right now. I'm, I'm, I didn't want to make the tent anyways. I'm going to start my own little ministry about how the tents of Satan. So the garments of ministry, verse 41. It says, again, I'm sorry, the hangings of the cord, verse 40, the pillars, the sockets, the screen, the cords, the cords, the pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle, for the tent of meeting. All the garments of ministry to minister in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, son, his garments, to minister as priests. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so that children... Of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they had done it as the Lord had commanded. Now here, listen. Here's the last thing, and we're going to go to prayer. It says, "Just so they had done it as Moses, and then Moses blessed them." Is that there's one thing to say? I'm available, but please hear me. You have to be available on God's terms, not on yours. Don't say, I submit myself to my, can- to my commander and he gives a command and you're like, nope, that's not going to work. And we're bi- we can all be guilty of that. This country, and America too, by the way, we're very guilty of this, of saying we'll happily take God as long as he's on our terms. We'll happily become a Christian as long as it's on our terms. It's the moment you actually have to give up things you like that you start to see what kind of Christian you're really going to be. But if God really is the Lord, and he is, by the way, just in case you weren't aware, you can't say no, Lord, in the same sentence. That doesn't work. No, boss, it doesn't work like that. If I'm going to declare Jesus as Lord, I have to be willing to say yes, because I trust that, by the way, do you know this, that there's one person who loves you more than you do, and that's him. And he, by the way, even knows you better than you do, and he loves you anyways. And his plan for you was only to bless you, to make you better. The road there might be a rough one, but I guarantee you, you'll be very happy with the destination when you get there. Let me ask you something. Christians, is there any area you're fighting with God over right now? You are dragging through the wilderness, and right now in this season it means nothing. But you're still holding on to it, hoping that later on this will work out for you better? Is there something that God's been saying at night? You're afraid to get quiet because you know if you do, God's going to tell you something. And you know whatever it's going to be, you don't want to hear it. Today's the day to let it go. would it be great to let go of your idols today? Wouldn't it be great today to raise your hands in total surrender and say, God, nothing restricts me from serving you, from following you, from loving you, from worshiping you the way you intend. Wouldn't it be great if that's where we were today? Wouldn't it be great if we walked out of here saying, you know what, Lord, this would be, this is it, today. I know there's gonna be changes. I know that, you know what, and if, if I don't even have the power to let it go, just take it. Please, gently, take it. Would you? Would you let it go? Do you love Him enough to leave it? Do you love Him enough to follow? Do you love Him enough to take your hands up and say, Lord, I know that if you take this from me, you've got something better. Because if you don't, is he really Lord? Or is he just another thing you keep in your pocket to make your day a little better when you want it? He's not the genie in the bottle. Nor in the book. It's his way. And see, what Moses' job was when they brought this stuff was not to see if they put forth good effort. His job was just to see if they did it according to God's way. So you know what? Let's cheat on our taxes, but tithes. that's not God's way. You know what? I'm going to sleep with that person a few times, then I'm going to share Jesus with them. Guarantee you that's not God's way. That whole flirt to convert? No. It only hurt. It's not where God has called us. And you're like, but I don't get it. His ways are so different. Huh. Sounds a lot like scripture, doesn't it? Your ways are so higher than mine. God's like, instead of getting in an argument with everyone, give them the gospel. But it's so simple. God's like, yeah, simple enough for you to use it and them to understand it. Give them the gospel. It's the power of salvation, anyone who would believe. But I have to convince them. God says, no, my Holy Spirit, according to John chapter 16, it says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Isn't that beautiful? His job is to do the work. He's just looking for a mouthpiece. Do it his way. You're like, but it's simple. People will make fun of me. And you know, God doesn't pull any punches he's, he's like, yeah, they will. Get over it and do it. Hey, you know what? The enemy's job is to make fun of you. If you've ever played any sport seriously, that's what they do. Usually what that means is they're intimidated. Did you know that? Playing American football, when someone looks and goes, you are mine, you are mine. I'm like, I love you too. And off we go. Because the bottom line is it's like, thank you very much for that comment. Here's the point. The enemy's not going to stand up, but here's the thing: He can't get at you. Did you know that? Scripture says in 1 John chapter five, "Whoever has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one cannot touch him. It's either a lie or it's truth. I'm going with truth. Like what well, the devil was just beating on my head last night. Really? That's funny. Yeah, because that way I was I was drinking, I just I was drunk and I was sleeping with. All... That's not the devil, that's you, fool. Get out of here. Your... Stop making those choices. I mean, you know, if that's your lifestyle, look at it. The devil could go on vacation on holiday. You wouldn't even know it. <laughs> he send you a postcard. Things are really nice here. You're like, "Whoa, you're gone, really?" <laughs> Who's making all these choices? God holds you responsible. You're a brand new creation right now. If the enemy comes knocking at your door, turn to the new landlord. Just go, "Jesus, it's for you." That's that simple. He's the one who owns this house now. Is there anything you're not letting go of? Can I just say, scripturally, that's an idol. He's an idol. She's an idol. It's an idol. That's an idol. Lay him down today with me, please. And let's walk out of here free. Pray with me, would you please? <clears throat> Lord, I thank you so much for what you've done in this time. I thank you for the way you've spoken. I thank you for the sweetness, the sweetness of your fellowship. I thank you for the beauty of this family. What a what an amazing family we have here. But we can only look at the outside. You know our hearts right now. You know every battle that's in these hearts. You know everything that you're saying, just let go. But we're not. And we're trying to Tether ourselves to the past of things that we really don't belong in. We're trying to cling to someone we shouldn't. We're trying to chase after something we know you wouldn't applaud. But somehow in it, we think that if we could just finally make it happen, we can maybe just ask for forgiveness on the other side. You can just forget it and it'll be over. But we bear the ramifications often for these stupid choices of things that you're just saying. In the wilderness, it's just dead weight. It has no purpose. And for some, it really is as big as a log. And we're dragging this log around. It doesn't even fit in our tent. But we're so dumb, but we keep thinking, Oh, but that log's going to look really nice at my new place someday, somewhere. Really, Lord, please, today, get past all of that. And Lord... We just want to let it go because it's your job to provide. And here are people holding on to gold that doesn't mean anything while you're giving them food every morning and night, and water, and peace, and guidance. And God, I just pray right now you would heal. For some, maybe it's something that's keeping them bitter, they're holding on to events. Thinking somehow that makes them a victim so they don't have to be responsible for who they were or who they are. And may they see your son. Like in John five, look at the man and say, Don't you want to be well? I just wanna we wanna lay it down. Wanna lay it down, God, because you're worthy of it. I mean, you're worthy of the stuff that means nothing in the sight of heaven. This is pavement in heaven. And Lord, if we're saying, Lord, you can be Lord, but don't touch, then we're not really saying you can be Lord. I pray that whatever it is, Lord, we could lay it down today. Whatever it is. Because you did. As we are the jewel from which you gave up everything. Everything. And the voice goes out right now to this fellowship and to anyone who can hear this voice. That Jesus died, that was the everything that was given just so that you could have eternal life. So for all the guilt and shame that you have earned, like me, like us, because of our own selfish choices, our stubbornness, that's like idolatry and our rebellion, that's like witchcraft. Jesus died on the cross to pay for every one of those sins so you could be set free. And so, Lord, right now, work on those hearts. It's your job to convict, to convince. And even as Jesus died on that cross, so did all your payments with it. And then three days later, he rose again. And as he rose again, he offers you a new life, one that's innocent now, a new life with Him as Lord. And if today you want to say yes to this Jesus, the rest is your choice, just accepting His gift, His gift for the payment of your sins, the gift of His resurrection to make you brand new, Him as Lord. And if that's you today, I just want to pray this prayer. I ask you to listen, and at the end of it, if you agree, I ask you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I come to you as a sinner. I have earned judgment because of my ways. And yet, you so loved me, Father, that you sent Jesus, your only begotten Son, to die on the cross so that all of my guilt could be punished. All of my shame could be borne. And there at the cross, he died there. And then three days later, just as your scripture promised, he rose again to offer me new life. And you you give me the choice to say yes, and to that I say yes. I say yes to Jesus as my Savior, yes to Jesus as my ransom, yes to Jesus as my Lord, take control of all of my life and make me the new creation you intend. I surrender myself to you now. I am yours. All I am is yours now. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.